You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. So we're moving through the uh, book of Matthew, which uh, is full of all kinds of stories. We've just kind of wrapped up the Christmas story here recently, and now we're moving out of the Christmas story into adult Jesus. Jesus is no longer a baby. Jesus is no longer a child. Now he is getting ready to start his ministry. People usually believe somewhere around 30 years old. So We come into a glimpse of adult Jesus and what he's doing. And as we jump in, if you have questions as we're preaching through this, go to slido.com. It'll ask for a hashtag. Just type in 1208-1208. And there you can ask questions. If we don't talk about them at the end of the message, I like to answer those questions on the podcast, which you can listen to on all kinds of avenues, uh, wherever you get your podcast needs. We've already answered one of your questions a few weeks ago on refugees on the podcast. So like I said, it's just a cool way to kind of interact with people and and see what you're thinking and and things like that. So if we don't talk about it at the end of the message, we will get to it in the podcast. But uh, as we move through here, let's talk about repentance tonight. Not really people's favorite words, uh, word, because a lot of times it comes with that hellfire and brimstone, right? Uh, usually the only people that you ever hear saying repent are the ones who in your mind there's like fire rising behind them. <laughs> and uh, they're not very happy people, not very loving people. And so it's a trigger word for a lot of people. You hear repent, you hear repentance, and suddenly you're like, ah, I don't want to get involved with these kind of Christians. Uh, but here's the news for you tonight. Jesus was that kind of Christian And uh, Elijah, who set the stage for Jesus, also was that kind of Christian. They came into the scene telling everybody to repent. So just because we've seen people abuse repentance or do repentance wrong or come with hatred instead of love, it's still something that we have to focus on. It's still something we have to do. So tonight uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And we're going to see it in John the Baptist. So... John is not in your Bibles all that much. Not a lot said about him, but you have to understand John was a big deal. Before there was Jesus, there was John. And John was so great that Jesus said, what about him? Born of of women, there's no one greater on this planet other than, than John, which I always thought was kind of a weird statement, like born of women as opposed to what? <laughs> you know? Well, the frogs have their own John the Baptist, but we, born of women, the human John the Baptist, great guy. Uh, But nonetheless, those are some strong words from Jesus endorsing John, so strong that they sound kind of weird. But uh, let's see what John has to say to everybody. Is my mic cutting in and out like all the time? Yes. Fine. I'll speak into this thingamajig. You just keep the white mic on. So... uh, Matthew 3, 1 through 6, and then we're going to skip ahead to 11 through 12. These are the verses in our context tonight. Here's here's where the story of John the Baptist starts. And again, there's not a lot said about him, so to some extent kind of ends here. But there's a few other glimpses of him we'll see throughout Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And here's what John tells them later in verses 11 through 12. I baptize you with water for repentance. And then he starts to talk about Jesus. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, his winnowing fork in his hand, and he will and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So right there we've got a, a glimpse of what John is here to do. He's here to prepare the way for Jesus, like the prophets of old said a guy would come up and do that. John's like, I'm that guy. And Jesus understood that he was that guy as well, preparing the way for, for himself. Now, a lot of times when we talk about this passage, we like to focus on this last part of it, though, right? Jesus comes and he baptizes us in the Holy Spirit with fire and power. And it's great. But you realize the baptism that comes before that is the baptism of I'm a sinner and I need to repent. (laughs) And this is true for every single one of us. We are all in need of repentance. And there's this mentality today that we are all perfect, And it's really a kind thing that came from our parents, right? They love us so much. Oh, you're perfect just the way you are. Right? From from your head to your toes, just everything about you is perfect. It's great. It's a very loving thing to say. But we've taken like this endearing quality to some point, and we've kind of turned it into a theology where we say like, I'm born perfect. I'm exactly as I should be. Everything is right with me. Nothing could be wrong with me. And every single thing that makes up my life and every quality of it is just as God intended. And that is not what the Bible paints for us. If you go all the way back to Genesis, see, God made the world. And in every time he finishes creating, he says it was Tob. It was good. Right. And after God makes humanity and he looks at everything, all of creation that he's made He says it's meod tob. It's very good. In other words, God did not create you and look at you and say, ah, perfection. He looked at you and said, yeah, that's good. (laughs) It's very good. It's very good. And that word tob, that's good on two different levels, really. There's this like you're pleasant, you're appealing, you're you're good created, you're exactly uh, the good quality of how your body should be and everything about you as a human being. You're an imager. You're good. And then it's also like you're good on the level of, therefore, uh, the fact that you are uh, morally good. You're in the image of God. Therefore, you live in uh, towards goodness. So goodness morally and goodness in design. That is what God said you are. You're very good. He did not say I made them and they're perfect. Perfection in all of its design is in the new Eden at the end of Revelation when God makes new heavens, new earth, new resurrected bodies that are imperishable. That is when we move from very good to some kind of form of perfection, you might say. But for now, in this state, you were born very good. 
even qualities about you that you might say, this is the way God designed me. Uh, this, whatever might be innately inside of me, you have to understand you're not perfect. And all we have to do is see that some people are born with disabilities. That right there is not a perfect birth, right? Yes. They were still very good in their in being born and they're very good as human beings, but we have to admit when we see disability, we're just like, well, that's not like perfection as we would hope in the new Eden. And so that, the good news is, though, that perfection does come eventually. So all that being said, you are mayod tob. You're very good. And since you are very good, that means that you don't have it all together. And since you don't have it all together, guess what that means? You're going to have to repent. Because things are going to come your way that are off. You're going to do certain things that are not on track with God's image. Because you are not in that perfect state where you look so much like Jesus that... That you can almost not tell the difference anymore. So for now, we have to repent. We have to repent. And repent has kind of like an Old Testament meaning and a New Testament meaning. Okay, In the Old Testament in Hebrew, repent meant like return. So return to God. Or it gave this idea of like turn around and go the opposite direction. So repent in Hebrew is like I'm moving this way and now I repent. And now I'm walking back towards God going the complete different way because I messed it up when I realized I was going this way. That's the Old Testament. uh, That's the Hebrew understanding of that word. Here's what's funny to me in Greek, though. In Greek, in the New Testament, when Jesus came and told people to repent, uh, what it meant was radically change your thinking. This isn't what was going through Jesus's head. He understood the Hebrew Old Testament way of repent. But... If he was to walk into a Greek town and say, repent, what he would have done is like walk into a town and be like, repent. In other words, you're all wrong. Just like start the conversation right there, right? And like wrong about what? Doesn't matter. Whatever your thinking is, think radically different than what you're currently thinking. Repent. (laughs) So I just imagine Jesus walking into a Greek town and just the first word, repent, everybody. Repent. From what thinking? All of it. It's all wrong. (laughs) Because in Greek time, like if you had good thoughts and you changed to bad thoughts, it would have been like, I repented from good thinking to bad thinking. And likewise, I repented from bad thinking to good thinking. Jesus doesn't even seem to clarify the statement a lot of times. It's just like, repent, repent. And even though maybe that's not exactly how people would have heard it because they understood Jesus was talking about, Uh, repenting through actions and repenting from walking away from God to walking to God. I still just think it's this funny kind of image of Jesus just knowing like, whatever you think, you're inadequate in your thinking. Turn to God and come to him. And so Jesus uh, does the same thing that John just said. We just saw John said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Fast forward to the start of Jesus' ministry in Matthew or even sooner, I think in Mark 1. And you see that Jesus' first message right out the gate. He's just been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's gone to the desert to fast. And now he's entered ministry and he walks out there. And here's the first words that we see out of Jesus' mouth. For that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words... The same message that John was preaching, it didn't fade away. It's still going on. And a lot of times we think like uh, John was like the fire and brimstone. Jesus is like the, the graceful mercy guy. And sure, it's all grace and all mercy. 
But it didn't get rid of the fact that we have to repent because we're inadequate, because we're off in our thinking, because we've turned away from God. That is in Jesus' preaching all over the place. And so to that extent, he had the same message as John had. And here's what you have to understand. Look, it doesn't matter what you have done in life. I don't care how dark it's been, the sins that you've committed. If you've committed a sin that's just like, I could never tell anybody about this. They would never talk to me again. Look, God's grace when we repent covers a multitude of sins. Amen. All of them. There's nothing you've done that cannot be forgiven. Because though Jesus comes and says repent, he's always there with the ability to give grace to that repentance. And if you need some extreme examples of Jesus' Uh, forgiveness when people repent, then let's look at passages nobody ever talks about, okay? Matthew 11. So Jesus walks into this town, begins to tell people, he begins to do signs and wonders, okay? Miracles. People see Jesus do these crazy things. And after Jesus has done this, he invites them, it seems, to repent, and they don't. And so Jesus makes some incredible comparisons to these towns, to Old Testament passages, okay? So here's what Jesus says when, when they don't repent. He says this. He began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, I will, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. The cities that Jesus just brought to our attention is pretty incredible. So Jesus walks into places, does miracles, and he understands like, they have seen great fruit of God right now. They've seen healings. They've seen demons cast out. There's nothing they can do at this point to like say God's not real or not attest to, to who God is. And yet they don't repent. They take the miracles. They take these healings, but they don't repent. Yes. And Jesus begins to say, it's going to be better. When the day comes where every human being is judged by God, it's going to be better for Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon in the Old Testament prophets, prophets are like throwing, throwing things their way all the time. Tyre, you got this wrong. Sidon, you got this wrong. Tyre, your king is so, so pumped up with his own pride that, well, he's a lot like Satan. Let me tell you the story of how Satan's pride got the best of him. You start to see these glimpses in the Old Testament where you see these comparisons between the king of, of Tyre with, with Satan. <laughs> it's pretty impressive badness. Right there. But the thing that really catches me too is not just Tyre and Sidon, but Sodom, of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? I mean, when Christians today want to find like the chief passage of, of real evil, real darkness going on, Sodom and Gomorrah is the one that comes up, right? Yes. God had to wipe it out because it was that bad. God just needed to find one righteous person to have the, the energy to trust that it could be repaired. But he couldn't even find one righteous person. And the only person who got spared, how righteous was that guy? <laughs> Lot? No, please don't do these horrible things to my, my visitors from afar. Do these horrible things to my daughters. 
What? That's not very righteous. When that's like the righteous guy in your town, you've hit an all-time low right there. I was going to say. Anyways, Sodom and Gomorrah is messed up. So messed up that new people walk into town and the whole town's like, yes, let's uh, do the things with them. I know we got kids in the room today. So Sodom and Gomorrah, that's like as dark as it gets. It says all ages of men showed up to do the bidding, whether they were young or old, they all came there. And yet here's Jesus saying, look, if I was around and walked in and did these miracles, they would still be alive today because they would have repented. They would have changed their ways. If they had seen God in the way that I am showing you God, they would have been repenting. And yet you guys today, you see it in this generation, doesn't. He tells the towns that he's in. Tyre and Sidon, if I had done these miracles there, they would have repented. Even though their king was compared to Satan, they would have repented. But here in this town, these people who know me and should expect me to show up, the Jews, they don't believe. And so on the day of judgment, places that were real dark, like Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, Well, you saw at the end, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. That right there, that's, I bring that up to show you God's grace can cover a multitude of sins. If the people of Sodom, who are kind of at the bottom rung of the Bible when we think of messing up, can, can be higher up on the day of judgment than another city. Well, then we can see like God's grace can cover a multitude of sins. If they had seen Jesus's miracles, they would have repented and that would have covered them. In fact, uh, Matthew 12, we're not going to jump right into it, but just to give you another glimpse, you can read it later if you want. Matthew 12, 38 to 42, Jesus talks about how Nineveh, they repented when Jonah showed up. So Nineveh is going to judge other people because they, they seem to be on the in crowd of what God has done. The queen of Sheba, even though Jesus is like, I've come here and I preach to you and none of you will listen to me. Well, the queen of Sheba is going to rise up and judge you guys because the queen of Sheba, she traveled all the way to hear Solomon talk. So you see throughout the Bible, these glimpses of people who we thought were on the outside. Jesus is suddenly like, they're actually on the inside. And for those of us who know Jesus, see the works and still don't repent. Jesus is like, that's, that's a tougher sin to deal with than a lot of what these other people are doing. Because you've seen it and you still deny it. So I, I bring this to you tonight because we need to keep it on the forefront of our minds. Even though we have repented. Even though we've been baptized in the waters of repentance. Because that's what John was doing. Repent and I'll, I'll wash these sins off you and bring you back up. Even though we've done that, and if you haven't done that, talk to me. We'll get you baptized. Um, But even though we've already done that, there's this understanding that we still have to constantly be repentant. I think there's this beautiful picture painted uh, when the disciples get their feet washed by Jesus. Um, Jesus goes to wash their feet, and Peter's like, no, you're not washing my feet. He's like, no, I need to wash your feet or you have no part of me. And then Peter jumps to the opposite extreme, right? Oh, well, then wash my whole body. And he's like, no, I just need to wash your feet, man. Chill out, right? Uh, and Jesus is like, I, I just need to wash your feet. That's it. I just need to. It's this beautiful picture of Jesus saying, like, I just got to wash the dust off that's been kicked up today. <laughs> you know, this constant repentant state. 
of remembering we're very, very good, but we're still less than perfect. And even as Christians who are redeemed and Christians who are righteous and Christians who are covered by the blood of the Lamb, we still need to be repentant. We still need to turn over our sins day by day. And this is especially seen very clearly in Revelation. Uh, At the beginning of Revelation, if you've ever read Revelation, like the whole thing's not as weird as you've been told. Sure, it turns into like this weird kaiju story later on. But towards the beginning... Nobody knows what a kaiju is. Giant Godzilla. Joke's falling flat tonight. No more jokes from here on out, everybody. Um, At the beginning, though, it's not so weird. The beginning of Revelation is just God giving spiritual Yelp reviews on seven churches. Saying like, hey, you're doing pretty good. Three stars over here, two over here, and you. You're almost at five, but you got to deal with this. So let's take a look really quick as we close out. Uh, The church in Ephesus, here's God's spiritual Yelp review on them. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. This is a great church right here, right? Great glimpse. (laughs) But this I have against you. That you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So right here on God's spiritual Yelp review of the Ephesus church. It's like... The picture of the church of our dreams, right? A church that's that's caring for people, that's doing good things. A church that has fruit. A church that's not committing great sin, but actually identifying great sin and removing it from them. Figuring out who the uh, false apostles are, the false prophets, and removing them from them. This is like a picture of a church that, like, if we saw that, we'd be like, that's the one I'm going to. That, yeah, they have it all together. And then Jesus gives his kind of like uh, two cents. But this I have against you. I'm like, what did you have against a church like this, Jesus? Come on. He's like, you just don't love like you used to. And many of us would try to justify an answer to that, right? Like, well, it's not all honeymoon here, Jesus, right? But what does that even mean? You just don't love like you used to. People are divided on it. If you read through commentaries, some are like, ah, they just don't love one another like they used to. Ah, they just don't love God like they used to. I suggest with the commentaries that say this, both. They don't love one another like they used to. They don't love God like they used to. Because those two things are actually interconnected, if you remember right. (laughs) Right, And so here's Jesus seeing that, like, you got it all together. You're doing all the churchy stuff. From the outside, anyone who saw you, they'd be like, yeah, got it. And I say the same thing, except here's what I have against you. And it's strong enough that if you can't fix this and repent of this, I'm going to remove this kind of, like, glory that I put on your church or this kind of, like, holding you up before all the other churches. I'm going to remove that if you cannot repent of the fact that you don't love like you used to. If you don't repent, that is, turn from your bad thinking to good thinking 
actions from bad thinking to actions to the things that put good things into motion. If you can't repent from that, then I'm going to take that glory from your church. Yes. Perhaps put it elsewhere. Yes. The Ephesus church has it all together. They do the churchy things like crazy. If we saw it, we'd be like, yes, I'm going there. But even in the church that has the very good image of God held up to what we would think is like as high quality as it can, Jesus still comes and says, but a little thing to repent of. Love better. Love like you used to. Love like it's the honeymoon still. Like you just started this thing and the passion is high. And if that kind of church needs to repent, even from a corporate understanding, right? That was a kind of a repentance for everybody. Then we too need to pay attention to that. I think of uh, this weird story from my life. I'm pretty sure it's true, <laughs> but I've Googled the internet just trying to remember the details and no one seems to remember or post anything about it. I used to go to Ichthus Festival uh, anybody else ever been to Ichthus back when it was a thing? Yeah, three of us. Good. Okay. So every Christian band in existence was in this place. And it was like my sixth year there. I never listened to the speakers because mom thought I was somewhere in the crowd. <laughs> you thought I was listening, but I was probably looking through a store or something. Anyways, uh, the one time I listened to a speaker, I go in there. And the guy's just like, all right, I know this is going to be unpopular. No one's really going to want to hear this. But I had a dream last night. I'm like, oh, this is weird. Uh, <laughs> I have no charismatic blood in me at all in this point. I got that later. He's like, I had this dream where like, Ichthus, if you don't get your act together, it's just going to rain for the next few years until you, you start to get it together spiritually. And if I remember correctly that night, it started to rain later that night. And it had kind of been raining that week off and on. And then uh, it continued to rain. We started calling Ichthus Mudthus throughout the next few years because there was just this ridiculous amount of mud that you were trekking through everywhere. And Ichthus, last I checked today, doesn't exist anymore. And I think there's plenty of reasons for that, but I would suggest to you that part of the reason is a guy took the stage and gave this prophetic word, get it together, or I'm going to remove the lampstand from Ichthus. Get it together. There's good things going on here, but you need to repent. And that guy, I think, got off the stage, and I'm sure Ichthus did everything they could to not even recognize what had just happened, because that was out of the nature of normal Ichthus events. And so the ability to repent was never really given from the stage. We just moved on with life. And things got progressively worse. And now it doesn't exist anymore. I, like I said, I think there's plenty of reasons behind that. But I think that night was a turning point. After like two more years of that, I didn't want to go anymore because it just kept raining. Snowing, even. Did it snow? I remember we couldn't get our car out very easily. We had to get like 20 people to push it out. It was just ridiculous. <laughs> but we never had the space to repent. And so... I, I offer that to you, not just on a corporate level, but on a personal level. Uh, I think it would always be good to remember the Ephesus church. I mean, we're doing dinner church right now. That requires a lot of energy every week to keep us going. we got more volunteers than ever before. It is most likely that within a few months, we will not love the way that we used to because of the energy it takes. 
And we need to keep that kind of stuff in our forefronts of our mind. And whether you've got a personal sin that you keep coming back to and you want to get free of and you keep addressing it with God, well, maybe that's what the repentance is for tonight. Maybe you've got someone that your relationship's just broken. Well, God has the grace to fix that. Uh, I've been there a hundred times. And let me tell you, fixing those are never easy. <laughs> At this point, I've done it so much, it's a little easier than it used to be. Um, but there's repentance on the table for each and every one of us as a corporate gathering, as individuals. And just because you got baptized and wiped that slate clean doesn't mean the repentance stops. Amen. Keep it in the forefront. Yes. Uh, so that we can be wholer, healthier people on every level yes. of how God created us to be. So that we can be the fullness of the very good image that we are now as we move into the perfection that comes ahead of us in the new Eden, in the new earth and the new heavens, and the new resurrection. So with that, the table is set for us today. Uh, we have an open table. You are welcome to come and partake. Uh, take some bread, dip it in the juice. Then you can take it there. You can come kneel at the altar. You can go somewhere else, whatever you'd like to do. Um, but uh, the representation here is Jesus' body in the bread and Jesus' blood in the juice. And when Jesus served this to his disciples, he, he wanted them to remember, look, my grace is so big that I'm going to die for you. Even though your very goodness has been falling to the bottom as humanity, even though there's so much evil in the world, my grace is so big that I'm going to die for you. And that includes the people who nailed him to a cross, who were mocking him as he was hanging there. Because as he's hanging there, rather than like insult them and curse them, instead he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He left the clean slate of wholeness all the way to the cross, all the way to his death. So as you come and partake in the grace that he offers you, make it a moment to repent as well. Just clean the slate and understand repentance again is turning around. So it's not just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, I'm sorry, I'm trying to go this way. I know that's not easy when we get into things like addiction and there's grace for that. Um, but turn, not just with your thinking, but with your actions. When you're ready, uh, the band can come stage. When you're ready, feel free to come take the bread, dip it in the juice, and you can partake of that whenever you like. Please note this. Um, if you hear tonight's message and you've never uh, taken that grace, you've never taken that uh, mercy, and you want to know more about Jesus and accept him tonight, we do have a prayer team in the back corner. They would be happy to lead you into accepting Jesus so that you can can find the freedom on Judgment Day, the, the ability to have that slate wiped clean and to not just know it, but experience it. So uh, prayer team would be happy to pray for anything tonight. And that includes uh, if you'd like to come to Jesus for the first time or return to him tonight. Okay, we're going to sing a few songs. As always, you can come and go at your own convenience here at 1208. Um, but if you'd like to enter into worship with us, we're just going to tell God how great he is as we partaking in his grace. So, table's open. Thanks.